one person came up and said, hey, I had to put the book down for a second because I finally saw my polyamory on the page mm. and it was overwhelming. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're very excited to have Kevin Patterson back on the show, along with his co-author, Alana Phelan. Uh, together, they wrote a book that just came out a couple months ago called For Hire, Colon, Operator, uh, which is a cool sci-fi book. We're going to have them tell you more about it, but it exists in a world where there's polyamorous and queer people all over the place, and it's fantastic. We're really excited to have them back on the show. Uh, so, Alana Phelan is a writer, editor, librarian, and community organizer. She offers everything from advice to dating events to relationship support coaching through her website, The Polyamorous Librarian. And Kevin Patterson has been practicing non-monogamy for many years, and in April of 2015, he started the interview series blog, Poly Role Models, and his first book, Love's Not Colorblind, which we talked about on this show a few months back, covers the intersection of race, polyamory, and community. And with that, let's get into the interview. And here we are with Kevin and Alana. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, glad to be back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, we're very excited to talk about your book, For Hire Operator, that just came out like a month ago now. No, I guess, well, two months ago, probably by the time this episode drops, at least that, right? Yeah, about mid-October. Mid-October. Okay, cool. So, it's been out for a little while. We've all read it, uh, and we're super yes. excited to talk about it. Uh, yes! But <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to somebody who already had a chance to read it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, we yeah. finished it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so could could we start off by you giving us like the quick pitch version of what the book is all about for our listeners at home? Um, yeah, so it's, um, it's a love story, a superhero novel, um, a representation novel, uh, but it's uh, about two women who have been together since high school. They are both superhuman, but they employ their super their superhumanity in two different ways. One of them is a superhero, which, uh, which is pretty self-explanatory. The other is an operator, which is more of a uh, hero for hire, high, uh, legal dirty work sort of superhuman. And both of them are top-notch at what they do, the, but they're at such different ends of the superhuman spectrum in terms of what they're using their powers for that it causes friction in their relationship. And then, you know, um, the, uh, the operator who the book is titled after goes on a job for her favorite client and things quickly go completely off the rails. Mm. Got it. And and also just for our listeners to know, uh, like Kevin said, this is very much a representation novel as well that, uh, you know, it's a full cast of plenty of non-white people, queer people, gender non-conforming people, a variety of non-traditional relationships uh, represented in a way that I find um, 
was very, very normalized as opposed to how it pops yeah. up in most fiction, which is like, uh, this one gender nonconforming person shows up either as like the token representation or, oh, there's these, these weirdos over here who have a triad. Um, but it seemed like in the <laughs> world where your novel was set that all these things were like very, very normal and day to day. So- yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I loved about what Kevin created when he started this universe is that everything is if it's not completely normalized, at least it's a lot closer to normalized than we see in, our, in the real world. Right, totally. Well, I was kind of curious, actually, if you could tell us a little bit about like how this story came about and how you two ended up working together on this. Um, well, to start, uh, the last time I was on this podcast, I was uh, talking about Love's Not Colorblind. Yeah. And I was about halfway into it, and I just needed sort of like a mental break and i took some time off and it was really weird because like love's not colorblind from start to finish took me about eight to nine months um but the first draft of for hire which i did sort of in the middle it took me barely a month i wrote Hmm. a longer book that i thought no one would ever read (laughs) yeah okay hang on sorry Sorry, I just so you wrote another book in the process of writing Love's Not Colorblind. Dedeker is flabbergasted. No, I feel no like dog. I, <laughs> no dog. I wrote a book. He's like, what can I say? Book, I don't in case know. You want to read a book while you are reading your book. There you go. I feel really like an underachiever now. Well, so it makes me think that really, you what both we are amazing. What we should have done is read Love Is Not Colorblind, take a break in the middle to read this yeah. one, and then go back. <laughs> There you go. Wow, Absolutely. That's, that's a super fan edition. <laughs> if somebody decides they want to do that, like I'll work out some sort of prize for that human. So that's awesome. let's just put that out there. That's fantastic. Oh my goodness. Um, and then so, uh, Alana, how did you get involved in that process? Well, uh, when Kevin finished it, he sort of handed it off to me and said, hey, you're a librarian. What do you think? <laughs> and I read a couple pages and said, um, can you hand it to me when it's done? And he was kind of like, um, that hurt. And and so he came back to me a little while later after he had been doing the tour, uh, the Love's Not Colorblind tour, and said, like, no, I really love this book. And I I really need I need you on this to look at it to see how to make it its best self. And so we started collaborating, talking about it, seeing how uh, what was working and what wasn't. And at some point, I started writing a scene or two, um, editing a lot. I I cut the first half of the book, which was yeah. oh wow, uh, really? the first half of the book. I did. Wow. So so oh, wow. what you're reading now is basically an expanded sec- second half of the book, and then the first half of the book is probably something we're going to revisit sooner. But what's mm. going on in this story? Uh, everything from the beginning was kind of a, a backstory and could could stand on its own. Both stories mm. could stand on their own. And I told Kev, this is the story that you want to tell, this one right here. And so I ended up a co-writer. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. We, we essentially took a 50,000-word first draft, cut 25,000 <laughs> words out of it, oh and goodness. then took the remaining 25,000 and made it about 65,000 words. <laughs> and it. that's the book that you have. Wow. Um, yeah. Like, the book actually starts – I mean, the first draft starts with uh, our two main characters – meeting as teenagers and mm. creating their own path to superhumanity. And we got rid of all of that. So, mm. you know, book three or four or five might be an origin <laughs> story for these two characters. Wow. Nice. I oh my see. Gosh. So interesting. So, I mean, Kev, for you, was that 
a difficult process kind of you know do you know it's the whole trope of like murder your darlings um like was no, it a difficult hurt. process yeah it hurt <laughs> it hurt it hurt i mean like uh something that something that works with uh elena and i uh and our dynamic is that she doesn't really pull any punches with me um and while it hurts it results in a better product a, mm-hmm. a, a, a better product um so when she said okay well your book actually starts here in chapter 11 kev I was just like, wow, okay, well, you know, I could have argued and put out, I could have argued and had a worse book, but instead mm-hmm. I, I let it ride, cut 10 chapters out of the book wow. and, and then retooled the rest of it. And I'm really proud of what we put out. No, it, awesome. he was super great about it though. Like he's the one who really realized where the book started. Like I asked him, um, you know, where's your inciting incident, which is, you know, the thing that kicks mm-hmm. off the book. And he's the one who looked at it critically and said, it's in chapter 11. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I did want to expand on something that Dedeker talked about earlier, which is also that like, in terms of normalization, things like uh, kink, like good kink etiquette and uh, just communication, consent, like all of those things also seem to be something that's, that these characters just like inherently are good at. So was there a reasoning behind why you decided like, okay, just people in this book just universally are going to be great at these types of things or just more evolved, I think, than perhaps our current society certainly is. Um, well, um, I, it's not just, it's not just um, that the two of us are polyamorous, but mm-hmm. also like because of the work I do, I find myself in a lot of sex ed circles and I realize there's so much that representation gets wrong, just little, little things that, you know, if you're in, if you're, if you find yourself in sex ed circles as much as I do, like there are little things that we do that work and then we get missed completely. Like, um, so like just basic example, um, um, she's got to have it. That was on Netflix last Mm -hmm. year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was zero talk of safe sex in that uh, show Mm, until the ninth episode. Meanwhile, if the main character had a bowl of condoms just next to the bed, you wouldn't even have to have that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we wanted right. to make sure that we that we were leaving in little things like just basic, uh, re- you know, basic uh, recognition of, like you said, kink etiquette or safer sex practices. Things yeah. that things that are normalized to us that should be normalized in general. Mm-hmm. We wanted well, to make sure we we planted those in there. Yeah, I mean, someone got rejected, and then they said, thank you for taking care of yourself, and that was just in there, and it was lovely and, and very normal, and I was, I, it was very refreshing, truly, to see that, and not have yeah. it be, like, a big thing, so it would be nice if all books were written in <laughs> such a manner. I, um, I, read a, I read a meme, or I saw, like, a Facebook thread or something recently, where somebody was talking about... Um, that con- um, that asking for consent isn't sexy or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that o- was I think that was me talking about a conversation I'd had with someone about a partner they had. Yes, oh, yes. yes. And it's and like maybe not the way that you ask for. Consent. Yeah, exactly. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> that must be the case. Yeah, like I've 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 never had that problem. Like I I feel like that that conversation, the safer sex conversation, the consent conversation. The negotiations, mm-hmm. those can be sexy. And if, if you're going into it thinking this is going to break up the flow, mm. you need to examine the flow. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, it is so interesting that it's um, 
you know, when it comes to these kind of conversations, whether it is around negotiating consent or negotiating play, um, or even communicating about hooking up with someone else, you know, or hooking up with multiple partners or something like that, that, you know, definitely so many people have a struggle around, you know, just wrapping their heads around this kind of new form of communication. And I don't think that's because this is inherently an awkward thing to talk about. I think it's just because inherently most of us grew up never seeing examples of that kind of communication that was never in our media. You know, most of the sex scenes that I can recall seeing as I was growing up, it's all very, like, there's no consent talk. It's all... Everyone's just kind of yeah. mind reading and that's how it works. Just happens. And, and- <laughs> right. And so that's why it is so nice to have something that is in media that does just kind of demonstrate that. And I actually think that's a great segue to actually talk about the sex club scene, Jace. Well, yeah. So that's something I was going to bring up later, but uh, we can talk about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, is So I, ha- you know, I, I read whatever I can of other like poly content, you know, like pe- books that people are putting out there that have polyamorous characters or things like that. Um and in a number of those, what I found is that there's this, um, you know, there's this kind of, uh, like, you're, you're claiming that you're sort of normalizing polyamory through this book, and yet it's, like, very kind of overly sexualized mm-hmm. and over, like, simplified and also kind of that, like, oh, we're so good at communicating that we don't have to communicate, like, we sort of mind read for each other. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a scene in one of those books where... Um, these two, two women who were polyamorous and also partners with each other go to a sex club and there's this scene and it's very sexual and it's all kind of about like how their bodies are moving and how they're feeling and what the people watching are feeling about them and all that sort of stuff. And then by contrast, I found in reading your book, there's this fantastic scene at a sex club where like the kind of the the main things that the character is sort of commenting on about why this woman she's watching is so sexy is because she's like navigating consent so fluidly mm-hmm. and like being so respectful of her partners and you know and she's the one who like Emily Making said sure someone knows aftercare and mm-hmm. yeah and she's the one like Emily said is um is the one who says like thank you for taking care of yourself and it's like mm-hmm. super respectful mm-hmm. of those things and just that like those attributes were the things that the character found to be so sexy. And it was so cool seeing that. Cause you're like, yeah, in real life, like you see someone demonstrating those traits in a kink club. You're like, that's a person I, I am interested in being involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just something I hadn't ever seen before in a book that had kind of a sexy scene like that. It was really cool. That scene just blew me away. Even mm-hmm. it's probably the one that we changed the least. Oh, it, really? it just seemed to flow from him. And I just think it worked so well. I don't want to talk too much about what else happens in that scene that's important. I, I know, I know. Right. Yeah. But I think it just builds and builds and it's so good. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not um, generally a person who goes to sex clubs. That's just not really me. And I was entranced by that scene. Like I, that was one of the one of the main things that brought me um, into into doing this and and absolutely committing to it was saying like, "Wow, Kevin is such a good writer," and Chill. and I'm part of it. <laughs> but it's not just that, right? Like it's everything that we've had people come up to us, and uh, one person came up and said, "Hey, I had to put the book down for a second because I finally saw my polyamory on the page mm. and it was overwhelming. 
Um, wow. And it was it was so it was so wonderful to hear that. Like I want people to see themselves in this book. I want them to see their polycule members. I want them to see their their fights, right? I want them mm. to see their their own resolutions in there as well. And I, I think that even just as a like 250 page superhero novel, um, that we've actually done that, that we've put so many of those things to the page that I, I've never seen before. I mean, I've read, I grew up reading romance novels, like I would borrow them from my grandmother, I would get them at yard sales. And, you know, like you said, there's a lot of mind reading, not a lot of consent in there. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of not a lot of consent. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got away from it because of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm sort of down to the point where I maybe have like two romance novelists that I still follow. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy to have something out in the world that I can read that is sexy, that has people who are making these uh, hot connections. You know, like I don't I don't want to minimize that. I think it is hot, but also it's very real and it's very warm and connective and I love it. Um, to, to piggyback off of that a little bit, like there's something that happens in that scene, something that I really love, where um, um, like you said, there's, there's there's somebody being observed in that scene, and this person being observed stops and has a little bit of a sexy moment, and there is a point where that character says something to somebody, to somebody that that's uh, spoken to, nods some consent. And then this little sexy thing happens. And that was something that like I had forgotten until maybe like two or three days before we were actually like finalized with this book Mm -hmm. where I looked at it and I was like, you know what? I understand that like this, like this is supposed to show sort of like the magnetism of this character being observed. And this is okay with everyone involved. But if it's not on the page, it's open to interpretation. So I added maybe like two sentences mm. that that put it on the page, and like it really doesn't take that much. Like the bar mm-hmm. is so low, to, you know, <laughs> to show characters, you know, like the bar is really low to show characters um, who are who are queer, who are yeah. polyamorous, who are people of color, who uh, who are sex positive, who are fat, who are disabled. There's the bar is so low to show these characters in a positive way that it it's. It should be embarrassing for folks to miss out on those things mm. because that bar is so low, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a really Absolutely. good way of putting it. Um, something I also wanted to highlight is, you know, that you had multiple uh, characters who were either gender neutral or or some kind mm-hmm. of fluid or nonconforming. You know, very yeah. early on in the book, you introduce a character whose pronoun is they. And what I noticed after I got to the end of the book is there was so little a very little if possibly zero if i recall correctly like zero emphasis on what someone's body parts were yeah even yeah even in the sexier sections there was a very little description of like you know and her tits looked like this and his his tumescence looked like this or all the normal (laughs) all the normal stuff that we see in in romance novels and I, but instead, the sexiness was, again, more in the way, how is this person behaving? How are they acting? What is their energy? What are they saying? What are they doing? And not about this is what their body is. And I really loved that, that there was such an emphasis on, like, you can't make assumptions about power dynamics. You can't make assumptions about gender dynamics. Like, what you can see is what's actually important in this relationship, which is 
what is attracting this person to this other person? Uh, and and it's not a question of like, well, does that fit with our sexuality or does that fit with like their genital preference or whatever? It's just like, mm-hmm. no, it's them as a human being that they find really sexy. That was also really refreshing, I found. Yeah. But interestingly, people are telling us what gender they think that character, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, mm. is, right? No, right. it's like, no, right. no, no. They're, like, they're bi. non-binary, <laughs> that's their right. gender. Yeah. But, you know, we've had a lot of people say something like oh we think Mm. that this character is a man or we think this Mm. character is a woman and it's just like how do you (sighs) respond to that it's really it's really interesting where like part of me wants like like, i mean i want to defend my character so Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. so part of me wants to um you know immediately correct them on misgendering the character Mm -hmm. but but then another part of me is like well what makes you feel that way you know Mm -hmm where you've got a character who's on page and there is one, one. minor detail. <laughs> yeah, there's one in 250 pages there's one minor detail that 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 um that designates, you know, an assigned gender at birth. Mm-hmm. And like it's blinking you it's blinking you miss it. And it's like if you don't know terminology, you'll miss it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I you know, it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that that's in there, but we we've had okay, cal- we've had people say like We've had people like misgender the character. We've had mm-hmm. uh, um, people say, "Well, you know, this non-binary this non-binary character is assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth," and like one way or the other, they're getting some of this wrong. And it's like, "Well, where are you coming? Come, you know, where are you getting this from?" Mm. While at the same time, like I'm glad I've I've written a character that can can confuse the <laughs> oh god way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and no, and I think that's great. Like I know that you know, you we use the word like confusing the reader, but I think it's a great kind of confusion because I love that kind of confusion that snaps you out of me trying to find all these clues so I can figure out, is this a man or a woman so that I can be yeah. more comfortable like as a cisgender person, you know, being yeah. able to figure out clearly what kind of body this is, but instead that it is confusing enough that yeah. it's like, you can't like, you can't spend too much energy trying to figure out because it also doesn't really matter. <laughs> It yeah, yeah exactly. It, yeah. Like somebody like, somebody else's body should not matter to you. Someone else's yeah. um how they how how someone designated them when they were born should not yeah. matter to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? But interestingly, so Kevin and I we do a talk about uh representation sort of in general and we talk about John Scalzi's book which um oh we're gonna yeah. Go- lock in okay. yeah lock in we're- i feel bad because i feel like i'm spoiling this but it's not a spoiler it has nothing to do with the story um it never the story never tells you whether the main character is a man a woman mm-hmm. uh never tells you if the character is white or black mm-hmm. or uh. latin um and I have talked to so many people about that book because I've recommended it. I love that book. And it's been fascinating to see who read through the entire book without yeah. changing their mind of what their first mm. sort of mm. casting of the character was. Interesting. And that's not yeah. what we're doing here at all, right? Like we're, yeah. when, when we talk, you know, if, if, if the word trick came up in terms of like, because like confusing the reader is one thing, but no one is here to mm-hmm. trick the reader. Right. Yeah. Non-binary people are not here to trick anyone. Mm-hmm. That yeah, is insulting right. and horrible, right? So um, so while Scalzi brings up a lot of things 
in his book, like the way we bring our own perceptions to what we read, mm-hmm. this character Voss does not do that. Voss right. is a, a character who exists in that world and is a person and needs to be treated as a person, mm-hmm. which is why we took so much care and, you know, we talked to our non-binary friends and family and partners and we yeah. made sure that there was nothing in the book that didn't feel at least accurate to somebody at some point. Right. Like that, that one little, de- that one little detail that, that, that made it into the book, we we debated that, you know, mm-hmm. where we had a we had a long conversation about it because there was the idea that if it doesn't matter, maybe we don't need this detail. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, but then um, we, we spoke with um with Alana's kid, who, yep. who's you know, who also identifies as non-binary, and um, we wanted to make sure, like, hey, we're we're getting consultants on this one, mm-hmm. and the, the the decision was made that this one detail represents a normal facet of somebody's life, mm-hmm. and that's important to show. That's as important to show as as um as, as it would be to leave out. So we left we left that put in. Mm-hmm. We left that part in. And it's uh and it worked, you know, and some people catch it, some people don't, and it's fine either way. Right. Um yeah. could I could I ask again which John Scalzi book was it that you were talking about? Lock in. Lock in. Okay. Cause I just read two other John Scalzi books from his series after that, the interdependency uh-huh. series. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and was talking about those a few episodes ago. Um but anyway, yeah, that's cool. I haven't read the Lock-In Universe stuff. I'll have to check that out. So, something that was weird about that is like, if you pre-ordered the book on Audible, which I did, because uh-huh. I, I like Scalzi, you got um, you got two versions of the book if you pre-ordered it. You got one with a with a male narrator and one with a uh, with a female. Narrator. Oh, really mm-hmm. interesting. And I and I listened to both versions back to back, and in my in my head, the main character Chris was a black dude. Like there was one detail about the character that said, "This is a black dude." Mm-hmm. And I listened to both versions of the book, and that was like, this is a black dude. And it wasn't until years later when Atlanta's like, yeah, they never tell, they never, they never <laughs> give up, um, uh-huh. you know, gender or race on the character. I was like, yeah, they do. And, but wait, no, no, they don't. <laughs> and then, you know, that's great. No, that's very cool. That's so that's fascinating. Cool. Um, well, speaking yeah. of a broader range of sci-fi universes and authors, um, have. Any of you, I mean, have uh, the two of you, are you familiar with Stranger in a Strange Land, the Heinlein novel yes. from 1961, yes. 60, 61? 61, I think, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard of it. So <laughs> this was such a funny f- experience for me because I, I read Stranger in a Strange Land and finished it right before I started reading your book. So I kind of got these two <laughs> interesting sci-fi books back to back. And interesting. I will say... Uh, just to give a disclaimer for anyone who's listening and who hasn't read it yet, um, it's very much a product of its time. It's extremely homophobic, extremely sexist, has mm-hmm. just a lot of issues with it. However, it was extremely, extremely influential on the free love movement and on a lot of people who would go on to end up writing more about non-monogamy and polyamory and relationships without jealousy and stuff like that. Um so that was kind of the cool part. It's kind of wrapped up again in kind of this inherent, like, racist, transphobic, you know, homophobic kind of rhetoric. Um, but it was a kind of a little bit of a palate cleanser reading your book right afterwards, because then it's like, okay, well, here's a here's a world where those things aren't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, uh, first and foremost. They're but non-existent. I, yeah. I do think it's interesting looking at this kind of um, recurring pattern of sci-fi being the medium 
for introducing concepts that can have a revolutionary impact on our present day Mm. lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I see it with looking back at Stranger in a Strange Land, where it was kind of like the first major popular fiction book, I think, to have this big rhetoric about, you know, jealousy not being based in love and that having sex and being in love with multiple people is okay and can be healthy and and if anything could, you know, possibly be a better choice for many people. Um, And kind of mirroring in the same way, like the two of you have done in this book of, you know, it's a sci-fi setting, but having this kind of representation is not something that's like inaccessible to us in a modern day setting, essentially. Yeah, I know. I know we wanted to make sure. I know we wanted to make sure that our setting, while sci-fi, it wasn't that sci. It was, <laughs> you know, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a superhero novel, but we we kept it very rooted in reality. I I mm-hmm. made a couple of references to like modern day pop culture and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, we because because we a lot of this is how our lives look. Where. Um, I, I I think I've got I've got queer friends that joke around and say like I haven't seen a straight person in like three weeks, <laughs> and I know that's how I am. Where like there there are days that go by where I don't run into mon- any monogamous people, mm-hmm. you know, like outside of like work, you know, like I get my coffee from a monogamous person, then go home with my polyamorous existence, <laughs> and and we wanted to make sure that like if we were gonna do this representation wise. We were going to show it in a in a world that can exist, and like a world that 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 is accepting, and keeping it rooted in a very close reality. Like I don't say it out loud very often, but like the main city that this all takes place in, Cargill, Cargill, New Jersey, is basically just a fictionalized Newark, but mm-hmm. the rest of the, the the rest of America is still the rest of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, is it New York? <laughs> but it, yeah, because. Um, no, it's not quite okay. It's Newark, <laughs> Newark, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey. Cool. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Just over the, I guess. Yeah, it's what? right over There's the bridge. There's like a the bridge. Yeah, Just over the bridge. <laughs> Something yes. separating those two. <laughs> yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy. 
or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. So, so something that, that I did find really interesting about this, and, and I know Emily and Dedeker have both mentioned it, is just this idea of kind of creating a world where it seems like, at least from the, the slice of the world that we get to see, that things like racism and sexism also aren't aren't something that's like a big plague on this world like it is on ours. And it reminded me of uh, a talk that I went to just recently about um, representation in media that was at uh, Patreon that I went to a couple months ago now, I guess, like a month ago. And the, the woman who is hosting that, she hosts a channel that's all about games, like tabletop games, as well as video games. And they got a, a lot of questions about um, Dungeons and Dragons campaigns and like representation in those. And it kind of led to this whole discussion about this idea that, you know, whether we're talking about elves and dwarves and orcs and whatever, or we're sci-fi where we're talking about Romulans and Klingons and whatever, that we're still kind of taking all of our baggage that we have in our modern life and just doing it again with different mm. colors and shapes on it. And she was really encouraging people to be like, we don't have to do that. Like we get to create these worlds. Can't we find other things to have conflict over or like other things to be concerned about? And mm. so she was really coming down to that. And then reading your book shortly after that, um, just kind of being like, Hey, you know what? This is kind of an example of that, of like, not having to make the fact that, you know, one of the recurring characters in the book has they pronouns that that wasn't like the issue that anyone was contending with. Right. Mm. Um, and just what it's like, if you're going to read fantasy or sci-fi and be in another world, like why not have it be a world where we can take a break from some of the <laughs> shit that we, that we have here. Yeah. Well, I, one of the things that I like that Kev did was he cr basically created a timeline for the world where it shows you that these things exist and they happen. Um, but also that there has been more pushback against mm -hmm. it for such a longer time which was another one of the big things that drew me in but at the when I, when we first started i was like but kev if we're in a world without racism and he just kept like sighing at me <laughs> because because that's that's not what he created what he created was a world that's willing to push back more and mm. that sort of optimism and that sort of activism makes this world special and it makes it aspirational yeah a, a thing that's sort of in, inherently oppressive about sci-fi is that like a lot of uh, a lot of science fiction just sort of theorizes that they're in a world without bigotry in a world without racism or you know or ableism or you know or one thing or another that's sort of like the theory of this of the uh of the narrative but they never examine why and the character and like the uh, and the story almost always still follows like a cisgender heterosexual white man. 
mm-hmm. you know, whether it's whether it's sci-fi or fantasy. So, like, if these things don't exist, why are we still following the same exact characters? Right. If these things don't exist, why don't they exist? And mm-hmm. why is the power structure the same? Um, so, I created we created a timeline where we <laughs> where uh, superheroes take the front line in terms of social change. You know, so it's not just um, people with privilege using their platforms. It's people with like straight up superpowers mm-hmm. using their platforms. So like the first superhero is a guy in the 1960s is a black guy in the 1960s who also says like, hey, if you want me to keep this community safe with my powers, cool. But you got to get rid of all these racist white cops around here. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that creates a culture shift where every superhero says, well, I want to use my powers. I want to use my powers for good, but also, you know, what's up with this equal pay for women? What's up mm-hmm. with this body positivity? What's up with yeah. this housing reform? And each, you know, and like superheroes sort of take a responsibility to use their platform. So they're, they're not just saving the day, they're saving the world. And that's sort of where they come from. So in the modern day that Operator is set in, there's, you know, racism exists, but it's lessened. And there's a reason why, you know, mm-hmm. um, homophobia, transphobia, big bigotry in general, those things still exist, but it's you know, it's it's more likely that you're going to find somebody who is mildly suppressed by way of identity than completely oppressed by way of identity, and it's a world that pushes back on that and like actively so. And that's why the main characters of Operator are women of color because mm-hmm. If, if we're living in a world that has less barriers in place for women of color, then the main characters can be women of color, and it's not a strange thing. Right. Like, the two, the, our two main characters are the best they are, are, are their best there is at what they do, to, to quote the, the Wolverine line, you know? So, it's not a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that That's makes awesome. sense. It's, it's interesting the way you described your superheroes, uh, you know, these people who you know, want to help their communities, but they also have interest in in pushing back against these things, pushing back against the racist, you know, cops, pushing back against all these obstacles in place, you know, uh, for equal pay for women. And it's kind of funny that it's kind of like in an ideal world, that's what our politicians should be for us. Yeah. Um, but clearly we're not living in an ideal world. Mm-hmm. No. no, we are not. <laughs> so Kevin has, uh, in this timeline, Kevin has this very important legal battle that goes on and Mm -hmm. one of the people involved is in a polyamorous relationship and so that person's fame helps normalize the concept of ethical non-monogamy and that's why when you see our characters they can choose what their default is rather than having a default put on them by society, which would be monogamy usually. Right. But right. in this yeah. case, people are taught, you know, people talk about it. It doesn't mean that cheating's gone. Right. So this is the same thing as Kev was talking about in terms of um, transphobia and racism. Instead, <laughs> you have this, whole thing where someone goes into a relationship and they have that conversation oh do you want an open relationship do you not want an open Mm -hmm. relationship Mm -hmm. and you don't see that particularly happening on the page in this book right right but it is a part of this whole world is that people are communicating more about relationship types because they have some people that they have looked up to so if we had the people that we have 
now who are in the media, if we had had them decades ago, where would we be now? Mm. And that's sort of where this book is. Right. Yeah, that that conversation happens in those first 10 chapters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At well, the same time, I uh, I just wanted to really quickly point out that I, I do appreciate, like you mentioned earlier, Alana, that um, these characters also don't have it down perfectly. Like, there's still some fights, there's still some arguments that yeah. come sometimes by accident, by just, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to communicate this thing, or, oh, yep. I thought that this would be okay, and, oh, it turns out it wasn't okay, which that felt very much like, oh, I know that, I've been there, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not and quite... And there was, like, don't ask, don't tell in there right. in a certain way, which was really interesting, and I was like, is this a metaphor for <laughs> something? Like, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that, too. So these were definitely yeah. real people. And we want to make sure that those conflicts read as real to us because mm-hmm. like the way like say love triangles um get played out in a lot of a lot of uh fiction, they don't read as real to us because I mean because of our because we're polyamorous folks, you know, where we see, you know, Katniss is into Peta and Gale and she gets two completely different things out of both of them. It's you like, know? Cool, be with both of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But instead, they always find a way to kill a character or make someone leave or make someone evil or make somebody a mystery sibling somehow. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. They find some way to cancel the triangle so that a choice never has to be made. Whereas our characters, they find themselves in a conflict, but the conflict isn't the existence of multiple relationships. Right. The conflict is the particular dynamics of the characters Mm -hmm. and that's how they approach it and that's how they resolve it yeah no that's awesome and it does sound like obviously at the end of the book even there uh will be more to come from these characters so do you have like an idea of where their story is going to go do you already like have everything mapped out or do you think it's going to be more of an organic process And when will we see more from these characters? (laughs) So the next book is actually going to follow two completely different characters. Um, Oh, wow. I said to Kev, I'm like, oh, it would be so easy to go jump into fleshing out that what ended up being the prequel. Right. Right. Let's do that. Let's do, you know, it's called Supercell right now. That's the working title. Let's do Supercell. It's probably going to be called Supercell. And Kev was (laughs) like, if we do that, then people are going to think that all we're going to do is interact with these characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm. that's not where he wanted us to be. And I agree with him now, Um, even though I do think Supercell probably would have been faster to push to completion. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without, you know, like right now we're dealing with all these new characters and how they relate to the world. And so it's very different. Getting new consultants. And getting new consultants. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and just making sure that that that's all accurate, too, and working on that plot. Uh, But we do know, generally speaking, where we're going for the next five or six books. Hmm. Yeah. And a lot of them are sort of all wow. happening around the same time. Okay. Yeah. So it's, Whereas, it's not that um, kind of series series. I think like Operator happens between about like April and January, like 2018 to 20, 2019. I don't know even know if we put uh, years on it, but it's like... I think it's 2017 well, my- to 2018. <laughs> okay. Yeah, from about... Yeah, so from it's from about April to, to January... Whereas the next book that we're working on is that same year from about April to October. Mm -hmm. Okay, so kind of overlapping stories. 
Yeah, yes. and while uh, and while there are characters and elements that are gonna that um are gonna re- recur, like you might see a character that you're familiar with and see them at a different angle, right. but it won't be their it won't be their story this time. Mm-mm. Okay, so I have a question. Uh-huh. I want to hear answers from both of you. Um, so if in writing the next book in this series you decide to take a break halfway through to write another book on an entirely different <laughs> genre. Um, what genre is that going to be? So that would absolutely be our Cautionary Poly book, uh, oh. Cautionary Polyamory, which is based on our workshop, Cautionary Polyamory, nice. um, because that's the book I wanted him to do first and he wouldn't listen to me. Uh-huh. Um, I will agree with Elena <laughs> because... Elena will be very upset with me if I disagree with her. Um, yeah, we, we were supposed to jump in um, working on the Cautionary Poly book, and I really wanted to stay in for hire. And I think mm-hmm. we have a really good foundation to get that Cautionary Poly book off the ground. But I wanted to, like, I like what we're doing with for hire, and I wanted to stay in that universe a little bit longer before we shifted gears to something else. Um, but also, there's still stuff left over for Operator. Uh, we are... Mm-hmm currently recording an audiobook we've got a great we've got a great voice actress yes. uh involved and um so she's currently recording that and also we're working on some dlc because like you said i'm a gamer <laughs> um mm-hmm. so there's um there's a bit towards the end that re- that required a character flip uh, a change in perspective and it's something that was there was a change in perspective in the first draft and we got rid of that. I'm trying to put it back in, but it no mm-hmm. longer fits where it fit before. So the game plan is that we're we're rewriting this change of perspective, and we're going to release it um, with the audio, like recorded with the audio book, and also digitally for anybody who wants it. You know, anyone who's read uh, um, either a paperback or ebook, whatever copy of uh, of operator they have. Or release it for free just to, to put it out there so nice. that there's a little bit of extra content there. Nice, Excellent. very cool. Yeah, some DLC, some custom skins. Yeah, Super that's exciting. Great. So, Kevin and Alana, we would love to know where we can find more of both of your work. Uh, Kevin, obviously, we had you on a couple months ago um, promoting Love is Not Colorblind, but what else can we expect from the two of you and where can we find your work? Um, well, I'm still Poly Role Models uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, I'm Poly Role Models on YouTube, Patreon, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, most of my stuff is uh, is um, is on Facebook. I'm currently on Tumblr. I don't know how long that's going to last, though. Yeah, so is it I like might going be... away? Is I mean, Tumblr, like t- going out of business? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're, they're getting rid of their adult content. I, I don't think Poly Role Models counts as adult content. But those filters have been big and sweeping. The Nets mm. have been catching a lot of a lot of stuff that doesn't have adult content. So I don't know if I w- if I'm going to be allowed to stay there, and I'm not sure that I'd want to continue supporting uh, a platform that would that would commit these sort of changes. Yeah. So <clears throat> that might be a a, a, a change. Now, um, for hire as a as a as a novel and as a series, you can find that at uh, at for hire mag on twitter and facebook.com slash for hire mag the books uh operator is available on amazon as an ebook or sorry on amazon as a paperback 
and basically everywhere Amazon, Kobo, Sony, Barnes and Nobles, I you know, Smashwords as an ebook. Awesome. So you can find me online as the Polyamorous Librarian. I'm on WordPress. I am on Patreon. I'm on Facebook. And then on Twitter, I have a different name because I started my Twitter so long ago. Uh, it's Hello Librarian. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you both again so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate that. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.